There it is. Okay. Uh, I did. I did note this. Uh, things things hurt in my office on a regular basis. Why are you always mad at me? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Why do girls always say that? Because you should just know. <laughs> know what? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Like I say, it just kind of gets repeated over and over. All right, yeah. Not teaching our sons. True. <laughs> See, I don't know. You, you won't tell me, and so I'm still in the dark. <laughs> the, the most common look that I have of husbands in my office is <laughs> I know I screwed something up, and I'm not sure what it is, but she won't tell me what it is. <laughs> Why? Because I should just know. But I don't know what I don't know. And he looks at me and I'll go, well, you should just know. This is really my way of saying, I have no idea either, brother. We're in the same space. Yeah. exactly what she wants and got it. <laughs> there it is. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So, okay. Uh, that said, I, let, let, let me confess something here. Um, our schedule for this semester is like completely blown. <laughs> let me just say that. As I'm looking at the things that in some universe we were supposed to get through Genesis and Exodus before Christmas. It ain't happening. We'll be, we're going to be lucky to get through Genesis and Exodus by May. <laughs> Simply because there is just too much. And, and it's things that I think are important. If we are, uh, I think I mentioned before that uh, uh, a leader of the, uh, the Dallas uh, Seminary, Christian Seminary, taught to BYU and people asked him, um, how do you explain Mormonism? And he says, I believe that Mormonism is the fourth Abrahamic tradition. He says there is Judaism, Islam, Christianity, and Mormonism. And the more I've thought about it, the more he's exactly right. Because as we're studying this, we're going to find that we are as much Israel, children of Israel, as we are Christianity. We are a blending of the two. And this is our people that we're talking about here. This is our tradition. Uh, now, in doing that, and I think it's important that we take time to walk through these people. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, the, and their stories, and, and what they tell us. And, and uh, I'm not going to rush through it. We're, we're, we'll, take, we'll get through it as quickly as we need to, and I have no idea where the chips fall. Okay, but I know I'm getting farther behind by the, by the week because I'm looking at the things that we're trying to study here. So just stay tuned, all right? Okay, if you look at the religions that came from Abraham, you, you've, got, you've got Judaism, you've got, well, Judaism is the, it's one of 12 <laughs> that survived, okay, and Islam, and then Christianity, and then really Mormonism, we are, we are as much uh, Judaism as we are Christianity. We are, because the two aren't separate. We're the ones that understand the two are the same. They, are, they flow one to another. And Christianity has tried to say, we're a break from that. The New Testament is here and the Old Testament is here. And we're going, no, these are the same. So it's one continuation. So we marry the two. And that makes us a new tradition. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, that's it. Ah, I want to... This is the one we never did get to uh, last time, and we'll see. And, and to me, it is, I just didn't want to rush through this one because uh, this is the essence of, of so much in our life. So let's look at uh, Genesis uh, 22. All right. It came to pass that after these things, God did tempt, we should say uh, test, did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and as Abraham has always said, Behold, here am I. He's always there. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Now let's stop for a second. Didn't he have another son? That was? Ishmael. Why would Isaac be his only son? Only one in the covenant. The only covenant son. Because those that had married into to Canaanite or Egyptian lineage uh, were not covenant. And this, th- there was a bloodline here that needed to be followed. Okay, so take thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee. Now, let's remind ourselves, what was, the, what was the covenant given to Abraham? Posterity. Did he have posterity, right? How big a posterity? <laughs> yes, long posterity, right? Take your only hope of posterity and sacrifice it. Okay, now that's, that's a phenomenal kind of thing. I want, you to, I, want you to, I want to set the table, though, this quote from President Kimball. Father Abraham and Mother Sarah knew, knew that the promise would be fulfilled. How? They did not know and did not demand to know. Isaac positively would live to be the father of a numerous posterity. They knew he would, even though he might die. They knew he would still be raised from the dead to fulfill the promise, and faith here precedes the miracle. 
Now, this happened as Abraham and Isaac were leaving town on their way to Mount Moriah. Abraham and Sarah knew that he Sarah, Sarah knew that he was going to be possibly sacrificed, but their faith was that if this was going to be required, that he would then be raised from the dead to fulfill his destiny. Does that set the table a little bit for you to begin to... I mean, sometimes... Here's how we vision this. It's like uh, Abraham like grabs the like, five-year-old five year Isaac and hauls him off to the mountain and then surprises him at the end by almost sacrificing him. Okay? How old was Isaac when this is happening? Yeah, he's at least in his mid-twenties. Okay? And that's going to play an incredibly important role into this event. You need to know that Isaac is a, a man and he fully understands what's going on. Yeah? I was in the lecture with Elder Denner pointing out that with how frail his father was, Isaac probably carried him up. Well, yeah, exactly. It isn't like Isaac's going to fight, you know, he's going to be able to fight off Abraham, throwing him on there, and he's going to be fighting against that. Abraham's 127. An old guy. See, I, I had a suspicion. President Kimball kind of confirmed for me that says she knew. She knew as they left. Okay? So there was an understanding here as they leave. It's a three-day journey. That's a long ways, by the way, for a 127-year-old guy. That as they pull out of town here, they're going to head up towards this Mount Moriah on their way to the, this sacrifice. And I don't know how, how soon Isaac came to understand this, but he's going to know it soon enough. And the book of Jasher, we'll talk about that in a second, gives us some additional insights. Okay. All right. So off they're going to head. Um, now, by the way, the land of Moriah, Mount Moriah, where is that? It is Jerusalem. It is Jerusalem. Now, it's important to keep in mind, so if you, if you look at, I should draw this up, the old city is kind of like a teardrop, teardrop shaped thing across the top of Mount Moriah, where the, the temple was, and then it kind of came down, where the Last Supper was, now down near the bottom, and the pole of uh, um, Shalom. Shalom. Is at the far end. At that, but the sacrifices on Mount Moriah always took place at the very north end of Mount Moriah. Anybody know what is it? Anybody been in Jerusalem? What's at the extreme end of Mount Moriah? That's that's more towards the middle. North end, all the way to the north end. No, the wall is kind of right there. Calgotha. Make sense? Cal Calvary, Golgotha is at the north end. The sacrifices are. So where is this in relation to the first and fourth day of the sacrifice? Where is what? Where is this in relation to the threshing floor of the day of the floor, it's interesting. When, the, when, when uh, Solomon, when David built, wanted to build the temple and the threshing floor was right in the middle of that. 
which I, I love the idea, we'll talk more about this later, that, that the temple of Solomon was placed on a threshing floor where you separate the wheat from the tares up there. But at this extreme north end, by the way, was this the first time there'd been a city up there? There's, there was a city there that was now gone, right? And that was Salem. Melchizedek. This was not the first time a temple had been there. And now it was gone. And so when Abraham gets there, it, this thing is gone. But that's where sacrifices had occurred. The threshing floor was there. And Abraham is going to sacrifice, potentially sacrifice Isaac on that spot. That's going to play a big role for us, by the way. Because there's going to be three layers that we need to look at this event. And then the first one is Isaac and, and what he went through. Okay? Now. Can we turn the air? I'm freezing, too. Were we a little cold? Yeah, can you turn that off? My ears are cold. Even your ears are cold? <laughs> That's great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And Abraham rose up in the morning, uh, saddled his ass, his donkey. Uh, interesting that they're going to ride a donkey up to Mount Moriah. Okay? Think about the Savior and his journey up into the city. And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son clave the wood for the burnt offering. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Remember, they're coming across the plain and they can kind of see the mountain up there. And, and, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad go yonder and worship and come again to you. So I want you, they're, on, they're riding a donkey. They're going to see it there. And then I also want you to see that his friends, the servants of the father, are supposed to now wait while Isaac ascends up into the mount. You see the parallels? Because what are we paralleling? The Savior. Okay? Isaac is so much a Savior uh, type here. And, and, let, and you have to watch closely all the pieces that make that what this is. You leave the friends behind, and you're going to then have to walk. And what are you going to take with you? Well, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, My father, here am I, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide. Uh, and so what happens is, is that uh, Isaac has to then carry the wood up the mountain. So he's going to carry it on his shoulders up the hill. And that's like the cross. It is exactly like the cross. And it was meant to be. Okay. That's why I say you have to see this really for what it is. But it sounds like that Isaac didn't know. Well, let's let's take this because here's what happens with this. Part of where we struggle a little bit with the Old Testament, it's like we were talking about last time. The Old Testament was put together uh, by Moses the same way that uh, Mormon put together the Book of Mormon. He's going to draw on all of the ancient records. He's going to put them together based on the stories he wants to tell. Now, the difference between Mormon gave it to Moroni and Moroni hands it to Joseph Smith intact. With this record, now it's going to go through all the editing of people and they took stuff out they didn't like. And, and, and so sometimes you look at these things and say, is there more information? 
what was taken out and what was left. Now, one of the sources that I like to look at whenever I'm reading this is a, is a very ancient book called the Book of Jasher. Book of Jasher is one of the Apocrypha, and it's one of those things that you have to look at and say, does this ring true? How does this feel? But the Book of Jasher is also referenced twice in the Old Testament that was not included in the book in the Old Testament. So it helps. Okay? So what I want to do as part of this is I want to I want to quote a little bit from the book of Jasher. Chapter 23. Because again, when we look at this, we're trying to draw on things like the book of Jasher, uh, the Doctrine of Covenants, Joseph Smith Translation. I mean, we're trying to pull everything that we can find to give us to fill in the information on this. Okay? So, here's from the book of Jasher. And whilst Abraham was proceeding with his son Isaac along the road, up the road to Mount Moriah, Satan came and appeared to Abraham in the figure of a very aged man, humble and of contrite spirit. And he approached Abraham and said to him, Art thou silly or brutish that thou goest to do this thing this day to thine only son? Now how many times do we get Satan showing up as an angel of light trying to screw up the whole thing? That's why this starts to ring a bit true. Could this have happened? Yes. Did it happen for sure? We don't know. But, it, but you just get a sense of the... If he didn't show up there physically, you at least get a sense that Abraham would be having to push against the temptation against what he's about to do. Okay? Art thou silly or brutish that thou goest to do this thing this day to thine only son? I'm your brother. Don't do that. I'm just trying to help. For God gave thee a son in the latter days in thine old age. And you just hear him. Oh, I can't believe what you're doing. And wilt thou go and slaughter him this day because he committed no violence? And, and wilt thou cause the soul of thine only son to perish from the earth? I just can't believe. Isn't this kind of dumb that God's asking him to do this? It reminds me a little bit, and I've mentioned before that uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the only R-rated movies that I've seen lately was the uh, Passion of the Christ. I don't know how many of you ever saw that one, but one of the most bloodiest, goriest, oh my gosh, movies I've ever seen. But it begins with the Savior in Gethsemane, and he's praying, and then it pans out a little bit. And Satan is standing right next to him. Going, they don't deserve this. Why are you doing this for them? They're going to be ungrateful. They're not going to care. I can't believe that you're actually going through this for them. And that rang true. Like, where else in the entire universe at that moment in Gethsemane would Satan be? But there. Where else in all of the universe at this moment would Satan be? But somehow he's tempting you physically or at least however he was going to do that. That's why this makes some sense. Dost thou know and understand that this thing cannot be from the Lord? For the Lord cannot do unto men such evil upon the earth to say to him, Go slaughter thy child. What are you doing? 
Okay. Yeah. That one to me rings really true because remember why Abraham left his home is because his father was going to sacrifice. Well, exactly. So now we're hit, and, and that would have awakened in Abraham his own childhood, right? Where the priest of Elkanah was going to sacrifice him. That's why at so many levels this goes right to Abraham's core. Why would he do this? Okay? Now, here's where that. So let's keep going here. Abraham heard this and knew that it was the word of Satan who endeavored to draw him aside from the way of the Lord. You might almost hear him saying like Moses, Yeah, but where's your light? You know, you don't glow very much. Must be you, Satan. Okay? Um, and Abraham rebuked him so that he went away. Now, here's the part that, that uh, also just jumped out at me. Let me continue on with this. And when they were going along, Isaac said to his father, Behold, I see the fire and wood, but where is the lamb that is to be the burnt offering before the Lord? Now, there's the moment you hear it in, in the book of Genesis, right? This is where Jasher, the author of Jasher, is filling in a little piece here. And Abraham answered his son Isaac, saying, The Lord has made choice of thee, my son, to be a perfect burnt offering instead of the lamb. Well, he told him. He told him. In the book of Jasher, I left this part out, Satan appears to Isaac and says, You're the one to be sacrificed, not the lamb, and it's not fair. And Isaac said unto his father, I will do all that the Lord spoke to thee with joy and cheerfulness of heart. We often talk about this of being the sacrifice, or the, the testing and the Abrahamic test, right? I need you to see that almost equal to that and perhaps even greater. Because of less knowledge and understanding, was that this was an incredible uh, Isaac test. It was a test of Isaac, equal to that of Abraham, <coughs> because he was old enough to understand what was about to occur. And the question is, would he say to him, "No, I can't do this," or would he say? If there's any way that this cup could pass from me, let it be so. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I have finished all that my Father has commanded me to do. Would he do that? And Abraham again said unto his son Isaac, Is there in thy heart any thought or counsel concerning this which is not proper? Tell me, my son, I pray thee, oh, my son, conceal it not from me. How do you feel? One of the things we're going to find with, uh, with all of these things we're about to talk about with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are such real people. And the, and the Bible has done such a beautiful job of making them real. You get to see their struggles. They're very, very human. Okay? Let me know if there's anything. Conceal it not. And Isaac answered his father and said unto him, O oh, my father, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is nothing in my heart to cause me to deviate either to the right or to the left. 
from the word he has spoken to thee. It's interesting that he says, Abraham tells Isaac, um, you're to be a perfect burnt offering. Yeah. So that reflects something of the character of Isaac. It does, in a big way. And in fact, I don't think I put it here. Nope, I didn't. Um, Isaac will then say to his father, again, according to the book of Jasher, make sure that when you put me on the altar that you bind me tightly so that I don't flinch at the last moment and ruin the sacrifice. Okay, now, let's back up a little bit then. So I want you to look at... um, We look at all the parallels of... This, sac- this potential sacrifice of Isaac, that he is going to be sacrificed, he is the, the, that he is the hope for all of the seed that will come later. They're going to make this journey up to the Temple Mount. They're going to do it. They're going to leave the friends behind. They're going to ride on an ass to get there. They're going to get up there. That the, the son is going to be fully cognizant of what's about to occur and the pain that that will entail. And he's going to do it with a complete willingness to do the right thing. Okay? And then and we know from the story, of course, that at the, at the last moment, then there is a lamb provided. The book of Jasher actually has Satan holding on to the ram. It's like, no, don't go. <laughs> And Abraham's got to pull it away from him to, to actually sacrifice it on the altar. Okay? Now, so, so it, you see all of the parallels here on the exact same spot where the Savior will be sacrificed at Gilgal. Okay, so here's, here's the layers we're talking about. Layer number one, look at Isaac. And, and layer number two, this is symbolic of the Savior at all points. Okay? Is there a third layer? Yes, there is. And then the third layer is us. When does the Lord require you to go up the mount, and what does He require you to sacrifice? Everything. In fact, usually sacrifice what? Ourself, the animal within. Well, you sacrifice what is most precious to you. Doesn't that make sense? The sacrifice often is going to be the thing that you want the most. Is it a sacrifice? Heard an interesting story yesterday in uh, High Council. We had one of the, the, the brethren talking, and, and he said that when he and his wife were first married, that they, they loved uh, serving in the temple, and they served every Saturday morning in, as newlyweds. Then when she became pregnant and had the first baby, then she needed to be released to take care of the baby. Then as, as his job demands increased, then he needed to be released, to be able to handle all the responsibilities that he was carrying. And he said after they'd been released, they really missed being at the temple. And, and one day, as they were on their way to, to attend the temple, they saw the temple president, whom they'd grown close to when they were serving every week. And they said to him, he says, how are you doing? They said, 
We really miss being in the temple. And he said, let me tell you, what you're doing is sacrificing one of the things that you want most for, the, for a better thing. It's the good, better, and best. It was good for you to serve in the temple. It was better for you to enter into this period of life when you're having kids. Moms, what do you sacrifice to have kids? What did you sacrifice in terms of your figure, in terms of your time, in terms of your profession, in terms of your mind? Lost it all. Yeah, you lost it all, yeah. <laughs> How much do you have to sacrifice and give up that is good for what is better? And how often do we have to give up what is better for what is best? Yeah, let, let, keep that in mind when we talk about Leah. I didn't hear what she said. She says that every time that she's had to sacrifice, it's been interesting that the Lord has always compensated her. Okay? Boy, I like that. I, I do. There is a sacrifice in terms of... Because we talk about a lot about how, uh, according to the family proclamation, presiding is equal with nurture. Those are two equal parts. But there's no question in the process of nurturing that sometimes with presiding comes a little bit more prestige. They get to be the one that stands at the... you know. And nurturing so often happens in the quiet of a home at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, I mean, nurturing is a very behind-the-scenes kind of thing. you call that quiet? Huh? In the noise of 3 o'clock in the morning, in what should be a quiet 3 a.m., and it's not. No, I think that's a good point. I think, sisters, that's one of those things that perhaps you sacrifice in there. That's... That's an interesting thought. But always what the Lord is requiring us is to climb up the mountain and place on the altar so often the things that we want. It could be our dreams. It could be our time. When do we do that? When we go to the temple. When else? When we get Genealogy is one of those times. When else? When we serve, when else? On the Sabbath day, we're supposed to go to the house of prayer and offer up what? Our oblations. Oblations, section 59. What's an oblation? It is an offering. An oblation is an offering. And where are we going to put that offering? It goes on the sacrament table. It does. This is the sacrament. And on our Sabbath day, we're supposed to offer up our oblations. 
So often when, we're, uh, when we are taking the sacrament, we're supposed to think about the Savior and His sacrifice. But that is the moment also where we take our will and we sacrifice it and we say, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And I don't know that we always make that jump. We're good about, I'm remembering the Savior, I'm thinking about Him, and we do. But when we're, you're sitting in the sacrament, how often are you saying, I will offer the thing that I want most, if necessary. It may not be required of you, but it might be. Think about the things that you wouldn't want to give up. I have my hopes and dreams. I've got my time. I, I value. And so often, that's when, that's when uh, Joseph said to the apostles, the Lord will wrench you. He will wrench your very heartstrings. Okay, 
See what I told you? We're down to 45 minutes and we're not even like through the first seven verses. Okay. Now, so, so, part of, so part of what happens here is that Abraham then is going to get to this point with a full belief that if the Lord requires the sacrifice of Isaac, I will do it. But I also know, and I have a testimony, and so does my wife. Together we know that if he sacrificed, that he will be brought back from the dead to fulfill his destiny for the posterity. Okay, so, 14. So the, the ram is offered. Uh, Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, which is said to this day, in the, mount of the, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. If you follow the Hebrew phraseology on this, what this really says is, in the mountain the Lord will be seen. That's what, the, that's what Abraham called Mount Moriah. And if you think about uh, what happened when Solomon's temple was dedicated on that spot, and, and the shine hog, the glory descends down on there, on this mountain the Lord will be seen. Okay? And then comes the reaffirmation of, on the, still on the mountain, here comes the reaffirmation of the covenant. Uh, because thou hast done this thing and hast not beheld thy son and not withheld thy son uh, in this blessing I will bless thee and multiply and I will multiply thy seed as the stars in the heaven and, and uh, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed now by the way let's remind ourselves how does that occur how do all the nations of the earth be blessed through the seed of Abraham how through the atonement, number one, through the sacrifice of the Savior, came through His loins. How else? The Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Who are the seed of Abraham? We are. We're the seed of Abraham. How is the nations of the earth to be blessed? How does it work? How is the nations... 
It's, it's because the seed of Abraham is supposed to reach out and find their, their fellow tribesmen and bring them home. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and they're going to actually end up... For, and that, that's why... Hang on to that idea. That's why Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are always mentioned as a threesome. And so Abraham, uh, Ishmael, and or Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You know, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's a, there's a line that you have to draw here. Okay? Okay, so with that said... All right, so let's, uh, let's move on. Any questions on that so far? Yeah. Do you think that um, Abraham or Isaac had any idea of the similitude to the prophecies of Jesus and the Atonement? That, that's really a good question. She, she's wanting to know if, um, if Abraham and Isaac really understood. Abraham did for sure. Because he had seen a vision of what was coming. I think that's what got him through. The question is, did Isaac? Yeah. So he didn't have that hope for that last minute phone call from the Lord saying, it's okay. You don't have to follow through. Whereas the Savior did die for us. But like he said, they thought he would be resurrected. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that, that is an interesting idea. The fact that Abraham, if he had seen the atonement and he saw the sacrifice of the Savior... Having a ram in the thicket might have been a surprise. In other words, he fully expected that he would have to sacrifice Isaac. Because the Savior would be sacrificed. And that would have been a very pleasant surprise to have him let off the hook at the last minute and not have to actually... Do. Wow. Great point. Great point. What, what a nice surprise that would have been. I don't have to do this, but I fully expected that I probably wouldn't fulfill the parable. Yeah, yes. What are the desires of your heart to do the right thing for the right reasons? Yeah, great point. So I say, the, the deeper you get into this, this is us. Well, what did you call Abraham? Yedermon. Yedermon. Every man. Abraham is a Yedermon. He's, he's, he's us. And we're having to fulfill this same trick. Okay, yeah. Except for the fact that he's going to... Yes. That somehow he He just didn't know how... Yeah. It's almost like Abraham would say, Ooh, I, if I have to drink of this cup, okay. But if there's any possible way that I don't have to take this knife and thrust it into the flesh of my son, if there's any way to not have to do that, I would be all right with that. Because to the painful part of watching that process... That's why it is that... Um, Johnny Witzel, it was, who said that on the cross, as the Savior is finally, the Father's always been there for the Savior. And then finally at that moment on the cross when the Savior says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, Daddy, where did you go? Johnny Witzel says the Father had to remove himself to the farthest part of his universe. 
rather than he knew it needed to happen, knew it fulfilled the plan, and was so painful to watch that he had to remove himself. So Isaac had to do it himself. Yeah. Do you think Isaac was the same person coming down the hill as the one that went up? No. I don't either. I think he, this would have changed him dramatically. In the same way that if we place our oblations and offerings on the table, when we come to sacrament meeting, then we can walk out different than we came in, if we're willing to do that. Same thing with the temple. We go in fully willing to covenant with all our heart, mind, and soul to give whatever it takes. We'll be different. And I think Isaac certainly was. Okay. That said. I'm going to skip just a little bit here. We're going to jump ahead in time. And I'm actually skipping one love story and uh, trying to get to even a greater one. And that is Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac loved her. And we have that great story with that one. Yeah? You can just say at the beginning of 23 where it talks about Sarah Pastor. Doesn't it say in the book of Joshua that she died in the broken heart? Yeah, it kind of does. That, that she knew that what was supposed to happen and that, that she passed away. Oh, the book of Jasher, she, she like follows him for a while and she's crying. And, 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 and in fact, Abraham's first return to the Lord when he says you need to go sacrifice says, This is going to kill Sarah. This will be hard on her. I can't separate the two of these. You know, the, the father and the son and mom. Yeah. Okay. So we're jumping ahead here. Because again, I just here's the humanness in this whole thing. And Isaac entreated the Lord for Rebekah because she was barren. Oh my gosh. How often do the, do the women in the Old Testament times, cannot have kids. Or they struggle doing it. Unless you're Leah. Yep. <laughs> Pop them out on a regular basis, but we'll talk about that. Um, so, he's got, so here comes another miraculous kind of thing. He has to entreat the Lord to say, she's barren, please, please fill her womb. Okay? Now, I love this. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord entreated for him. Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And the children, plural, struggled within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? Can I put this in different terms? I understood what it was like to be pregnant, but why am I big as a house? (laughs) Oh my God! I look around and there are other women and yeah, they're a little pregnant, but look at me. Why am I thus? <laughs> oh my God. And so what is she going to do? She's going to inquire of the Lord. I need a celestial ultrasound. Why is there struggling going on? Yeah, not only am I huge, but this one baby seems to be like all over the place. And I might even be, and I'm getting kicked on two sides at the same time. What is going on inside of me? It's just like, oh my gosh. And so she says, so she goes to inquire of the Lord. You know, I don't have an ultrasound. Tell me what's going on inside of my tummy. You know? That's why I say it, it becomes so human to me. 
And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people will be separated from thy bowels. They are two different types of people. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. The hairy guy will be stronger. And that the elder shall serve the younger. Now, let's, let's stop for a second here. By birthright responsibility, who's supposed to hold the birthright? The oldest. And the Lord is saying to her before these children are even born that the birthright will go to the younger. And Esau is still in the womb and hasn't done diddly squat to do anything to discourage getting the birthright. How can that be? Why did he do that? Exactly right. That's not fair. Because, you know, there's a chance that if she teaches Esau right, that maybe he will be worthy of the birthright. He won't marry the Canaanite Baal worshippers. And he won't want to sell his pot, sell his birthright for pottage. Yeah, none of that's happened yet. How come he can do that? Yes. Based on pre-mortal um, worthiness. Before they ever got there, the Lord knew which one was going to be which. And I can tell you and I can prophesy to you that the younger will be more righteous than the older. The oldest one will despise the birthright. So from this moment on, I can tell you, and Rebecca's going to have to carry that, especially when she's got to mess with Isaac, who's not going to get it. Yeah. You can see it coming, Kathy. Well, he's already seen it. Yeah. He already knows it. Yeah. So I still ask, why not just have Jacob be the birthright? How often, let me just say this, there's a pattern that is about to develop here. How often in the Old Testament does the younger always end up with the birthright? And the answer is. Always, especially with this group. Doesn't matter whether it's uh, Ishmael or Esau or even Reuben, the younger will always end up with the birthright. There's a pattern here. Why would so let's answer why would the Lord do this? What does it teach us? There you go. Be thinking. Ask the right questions. Number one, regardless of our, but but I, sixth generation Mormon, you know my my pioneer guy was at Martin's Cove rescuing those guys. I'm worthy. Look at my ancestry. And what does the Lord say? Yeah, you're worthy to fall as much as anybody else. I can do with the rock I can make the children of Abraham out of rocks. Remember the Savior in John 8. Yeah, we're the children of Abraham. Yeah, I can, I can raise up the rocks. Okay? So this is coming from the perspective of I'm the oldest daughter in my family of six daughters. Yeah, yeah. And I think... But it was a guy thing with the birthright, so you're fine. Well, I think... <laughs> it can be a 
can also be a test for the older child to see what they would do. For example, yeah. in Joseph Smith, he was younger, but Hiram and his, his older brothers stuck with him and yeah, chose they did. to follow him. That's right. And so sometimes I think it can also be a test for the older child. What will you do if you're young? When you're supposed to have that, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to someone yeah. else. Will you still follow me? Because sometimes that's what's the best. Because desire. often, oh, whether it's Laman, Lemuel, and Nephi, you know, the Lord says, I will designate who I will designate to serve at certain times. And then sometimes it is a test of the older. That's right, because I will choose whom I will choose. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's the... Yeah. There were two nations yeah. she brought forth. All right, I understand Isaac, but what about uh, his brother? What nation? Okay, this is Isaac's wife. So this is actually Esau, Edom the Red, and Jacob. Okay. This is actually the birth of Esau and Jacob. So what about um, Esau's nation? What, who? The Edomites. The Edomites. Okay. Yeah, this is the guy. And, and so hold on, to that, hold on to that idea. But let, let's roll here. Um, and just, so finally, uh, it's time to be delivered. You can hear her issue a collective sigh. Finally, the first came out red. All over like a hairy garment, they called his name Esau, meaning red. And after that, his brother came out, and and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. Okay. His name was called Jacob. Jacob means supplanter, replacer. As Esau will remind us soon. His name was called Jacob, and Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. It's weird, isn't it? Isaac didn't bear them. Uh, anyway. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man. What it means is a, is a much more well-rounded man. He was, a, he was a whole man. He was a very wise, doesn't just mean like plain, like kind of ugly. It means, it means plain like he was more well-rounded. Okay? He was more given to study. He was more complete. And Isaac loved Esau... Because he did eat his venison. That's right. As men, we love meat. Yes. And explosions. Yeah. Okay, now. Rebecca loved Jacob. Also, remember, Rebecca is holding on to a. A revelation that she got from the Lord that this youngest son is going to be ultimately with the birthright and that Esau will serve him. And she's got that. She's got to carry that. Now, 
Jacob sought pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint, and Esau said unto Jacob. Now, let me stop here for a second. Let me go back to the book of Jasher. Let me fill in. Let me fill in a gap here. Yeah. She might not. I said, is there something I'm supposed to know? And she says, well, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. <laughs> exactly. That is of my point exactly. <laughs> so it was Rebecca's fault for not telling you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I should have known any given. That's where it began, right? <laughs> okay, so here's the rest of the story. Uh, hard to know if this is true or not, but it's sure fascinating from the book of Jasher. Esau is a great hunter. The only one that is better as a hunter than Esau at this point in time is Nimrod. Nimrod is the great hunter. Why is Nimrod a great hunter? Well, it turns out that Nimrod, through some chicanery, got his hands on a coat of skin that once belonged to Adam. And he wears the coat of skin when he goes out hunting. And the animals recognize the coat of skin and come up to him because they recognize the coat of skin and Nimrod shoots them like fish in a barrel. He's a great hunter. Because he had Adam's coat of skin. Okay, wasn't supposed to have it, wasn't supposed to, lineage-wise, Nimrod wasn't supposed to get it, but he had it, okay? Now, so when Jacob, when Esau is out hunting, he lies in wait in the woods, and there is Nimrod with his two buddies, and he's out hunting, and Esau wants the coat, and he wants to also bump off Nimrod. So he waits till Nimrod is alone, and he kills him. And he's not able to wipe out the two buddies that went with Nimrod. So now he's got to hustle like crazy to get back home before he's killed by Nimrod's buddies. Because now he killed Nimrod and he's got the coat of skin. Which Jacob wants. So I say, they're, they're, even if it's not literal, you get this sense, even symbolically. So when he talks about, I want the birthright, what I want is Adam's coat of skins. That that's symbolic. Okay? So here comes, here comes um, Jacob. Sell me this day the coat, the birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. I may get killed because I took out Nimrod and the guys are looking for me. Okay? What profit shall this birthright do to me if I'm dead? Okay. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he sware unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage and lentils and he to drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised the birthright. Now, how many kids do we know that despise their birthright? How, how many members of the church 
leave the church because they despise their birthright. They don't think it's that big a deal. You're a priesthood holder. Well, yeah, no big deal. How many times do we turn our back on our, on our birthright? And that's what Esau was doing. He didn't get it. In fact, by this time, uh, he had already married two Canaanite women. And the, the wives were sacrificing to Baal right at Isaac and Rebekah's house. And that's why Rebekah's going to say, they are killing me. I'm weary to death because of the his women of heaven. Because they're like sacrifice that they have. They're not even interested in Esau's birthright. So they were despising the Jews. Where did you get this Nimrod story? Book of Jasher. Okay. In the Book of Jasher. By the way, you can just go to the Google and thumb them and type in Book of Jasher and you get the whole thing. Can you also buy it? It's in the yeah. Catholic Bible. Is it in the Catholic Bible? Yeah. Okay. It's all in there. All the apocryphs in the Catholic Bible. Yeah, it's all the rage. Here we go. Okay. So here's the problem. We'll see how far we get on this one. So now they're going to be. Now it's time. Now Isaac's getting old. He was old and his eyes were dim and he could not see and he calls Esau his oldest son and he says, you know what, I would like really some great barbecue before you leave. <laughs> I'm old and I know not the day of my death. It's close. Therefore I take thee thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow, go out in the field, make me some venison, make me savory meat, such as I love. Bring it to me that I may eat and my soul shall bless thee before I die. It's time to transfer the birthright. Rebecca knows Jacob's supposed to get it. Jacob knows that Esau sold it to him. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. And Rebecca heard when Isaac spoke to Esau's son and Esau went out to the field to hunt for venison and bring it. Now she's got to hustle, right? She's going to bring in um, Jacob... Uh, speak in his voice, put some, uh, some animal skin on your arm. Um, and I love, Jacob says to his mom, Behold, my brother is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. <laughs> my father will feel me, and I'll be seen as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse and not a blessing. Uh, she says, Upon me be thy curse, my son. I, this has got to happen this way. Because Isaac is about to... Do something he shouldn't do. Now, sisters, you ever had that feeling sometimes that you're having to kind of step in and it's like the husband's going to screw up? <laughs> what do I do here? How do I... Okay, so Rebecca took the goodly garment of Esau. She put the skin of the goat, savory meat, and she prepared, put in her hand Jacob. Uh, Jacob says to the father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. Uh... Isaac says, well, I don't know. How did you find the meat so quickly, my son? And he says, because the Lord brought it to me. Oh, okay. Well, I pray that I may feel thee. I'm still not sure whether you be my very son Esau. He's got his doubts. Uh, Jacob 
comes near to his father, is Jacob's voice, but the hands are of Esau. And he discerned him not, art thou my very son Esau? And he says, I am. You know, and I just says, come near and kiss me. And he kisses him and he smells like his son. Because he can smell, you know, you just see it. Okay. That's why I love the, the, the picture that I chose to... Uh, No, it's uh, this one. <laughs> There's the picture. <laughs> I'm supposed to do what here? Shh! <laughs> It'll work. You're su- this is supposed to happen. Oh, all right. Really? <laughs> so I love that picture. It might be Rembrandt, I think. Yeah, the look on his face is priceless, isn't it? What? I'm going to get... There's a risk here. Either I get the birthright or I'm going to get cursed. And there's not much in between here for lying to my dad. Okay. All right. So here comes the blessing. All right. So therefore... uh, And and I I love how this is phrased. Isaac is now going to give Jacob the blessing. So you're, you're watching it now go from... Abraham to Isaac, now it comes to Jacob. And it's, I will give thee the dew of heaven. Fascinating that when, in section 121, when, when uh, Joseph is writing from Liberty Jail, and he talks about that many are called, but few are chosen. And then he says, those that are chosen... Uh, that let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly, right at the end of section 121, and he says, and the doctrine of the priesthood, this priesthood will descend upon you as, will distill, is the word, will distill upon you as the dews from heaven. And then we account confidence wax strong in the presence of God. That this doctrine is supposed to distill as the dews from heaven. It begins to, it begins to show up. It, it does, it's not like a deluge. It's a dew. It settles. And the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let the people serve thee. Nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curses thee. And blessed be he that blesseth thee. Okay. Now, let me just say then that as a result of this, then Isaac uh, trembles exceedingly when Esau shows up right after Jacob has left. And he says, Here's the meat. And he goes, Oh my gosh, what just happened? Now, I want you to hear the humanness here. Who? Where is he that has taken the venison and brought up me and I and I blessed him? Where'd the guy go that I just blessed? Well, it turned out that was Jacob. And then listen to Esau, who despised the covenant, married outside the covenant, <coughs> sold his birthright for a mess of life. Listen to this. 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with great and exceeding bitter cry. 
How often do those that have sold their birthright at some point down the road cry with a bitter cry? They just cannot find the happiness they have. But sometimes it takes years and years and years and years. What's the difference in the birthright and the blessing? Same. In this case, the blessing means the birthright. The blessing is the patriarchal blessing, which means now everything... And, and the birthright entails not just you're now in charge, but it means you get the majority of the land. With Jacob and Esau being twins, the birthright person would have gotten two-thirds of all of uh, Isaac's lands and property, but it's also not, he's now in charge to make the decisions. Could be. He didn't get but he sold it. That's right. He could, could, that's possible. It could be. We don't know that, do we? Is that part of why he's doing is he's lost out financially here quite a bit. But you almost sense a greater pain here. So where do the postings come in to all this? I don't know. Because it doesn't. it's not continued on in, in here. It's just part of that. But it talked about the postings as the birthright. Yeah. And, and, and there is some sense, by the way, that that's what uh, Joseph will get, that the coat of many colors. If you, if you look at the, the Hebrew word for that is the coat of skins. Hebrew tradition is, is that that was Adam's coat of skin that transferred down to Joseph. And so that's Hebrew legend, it's lore. It, it's hard to know for sure that that's it, but it, it, it has a certain resonance that it would certainly say this is, past, this is a sign of whoever's now in charge. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bless me even so my... He said, Thy brother came subtly and has taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? The supplanter. He's got the right name. You know, you just hear this bitterness. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. No, you sold it. And behold, he has taken away my blessing. Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Just hear the pain and regret. Esau lifted up his voice and wept. That's, that's this process of saying what happens if we hold our birthright too lightly. Now, there comes a blessing though. Isaac will give a blessing to Esau. Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of, of heaven from above. You will receive some of that. Okay? But by the sword thou shalt live and thou shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass that when thou shalt have the dominion, when you get to a certain point, that thou shalt break off his yoke from off thy neck. There will come a point where, and we're going to talk about it probably more next time, where Esau will finally forgive. And Esau will actually become kind of a Christ figure in terms of forgiveness. And it only comes after he has a certain amount of riches and dominion and he's no longer feeling resentful towards Jacob that he's able to fall on his neck and kiss him and kind of cement those ties between brothers. And behold, thy brother Esau is to touch thee. Okay, now. Um, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherein his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, 
The days of mourning for my father are at hand. My father's going to die. It's going to take a while for us to sit shiva. We're going to, there's a period of mourning that comes when someone dies. When the days of my mourning for mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and she said, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away. As, as a result, as Isaac grew older and kind of was on deathbed, Rebecca stepped up. And she knew exactly what needed to happen. Now, by the way, how long... So Jacob is about to leave and he will go to Haran, to the house of Laban. How long will he be there? She says a few days. How long will he be there? At least 14 years. Because that's what we're going to talk about next time. Now, yeah. That's right, and I expected to get the blessing, no matter what I did. Yeah, no matter what I did to deserve it, because that was going to come to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, the thought I keep coming back to on this is, Isaac held the priesthood. Yeah. He knew Isaac knew God. And he did, and, and proved himself on Mount Moriah. The priesthood blessing is typically given through the Spirit. The Spirit tells you what to say. Right. So that's, to me, it seems like that's why Isaac said, okay, I was given, this is the blessing that I'm supposed to be given to this person. Could he have reserved, could he have reversed what he did with Jacob when he said, oh, here's Esau? Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't like this was an irrevocable kind of thing. He said, wait, I was deceived. I'll now give it to Esau. And what he's basically saying to Esau is, what has happened is what's supposed to happen. However it happens. Because before, because Jacob's about to leave and, and Isaac is going to have one last talk with Jacob before he goes to Haran and he's going to say, you are now the heir. Legitimately, rightfully, however it occurs. Great point. So, let me just, let me just finish by saying this. I believe that in this process, what you're watching is the fact that as I look at my fellow Israelites, that you have birthrights, that you have blessings promised to you, that there are things that have descended upon your head that sometimes in the world we're looked at, aren't we looked at as uh, kind of a little weird, a little bit strange, a little less than, not as sophisticated. If you're going to be a mom and have lots of kids, you may end up doing some sacrificing some things in terms of careers. And things that you could have accomplished, you've sacrificed. And those on the outside looking in would say, well, that's too big a sacrifice because you gave up a promising career. But look at you. 
The blessings that you have done in terms of nurturing and following and obeying is going up to Mount Moriah and saying, whatever the Lord asks of me, that, that will I do. I'm not going to despise my birthright for a mess of fathers. I'm not going to despise my birthright for... We could have probably... If we didn't have so many kids, we probably could have had a bigger house. Could have had a nicer car. Could have done a lot of things. But I chose not to. Because I'm going to obey my birthright. And, I, and I'm going to sacrifice. So when you look around, look at what you've placed on the altar and what you're going to receive in the, in the eternities of God. It's a much greater blessing. But at the time, it may not feel like it. At times, when you're, when you're having another child or you're struggling with your callings and, you, and everybody around you seems to be having a better time than you, Recognize that you've placed your will on the altar and that the Lord has things in store. I bear you my testimony. These are our people. They're very human people. They are our ancestors. They are our... They, this is our link to them. And you're going to see us in them as you read them. They're very, very real. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. your assignment for the week go to the Google and thumb them and I want you to plug in the stone of scoon the Scottish sco uh, stone of scoon scoon and it's, it'll say stone yes it's S-C-O-N-E but it's pronounced scoon or all the stone of destiny stone of scoon the Scottish Stone of Scoon. Stone of Scoon. Have fun. That's true. That's her sacrifice to stay in the way to say. Yeah, man. Well, not only that, but labor. I'm re re recognizing the deception. On this, I was, that just hit me last night. It's yeah, like, that even though it was the right thing to do, he's going to get a dose of like receiving in order to receive the birthright. Why? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, the irony! Jacob received. That's what we were just saying. Oh, yeah.